Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I'm um, continuing our series called The Showdown. We're in the story of uh, Jezebel, Elijah, and Ahab. And I realized that this is our 20th week going through this story. And we just completed chapter 18. So we spent almost 20 weeks on one chapter in the Bible. I would have never thought we'd do something like that. But the story is not done yet. Got a couple more things that God's really speaking to me from the story. And I'm excited to kind of look at this key section beginning in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. It says this. We're going to read quite a few verses together. So if you have your Bible with you, you can join me. But um, we're picking up right after the rain came. And Ahab goes back to his palace and he's speaking to his wife Jezebel. And the Bible says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets, the false prophets of Baal, with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he, he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. That's the title of my sermon today. Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked and hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. I told you we'd pray again one more time. Holy Spirit, right now, come and speak directly through me to us. God, we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Arise and eat. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how to resist what the enemy has for you and how to reconnect with what God has for you. Reconnect with your provider. We see Ahab getting back from all that took place, and he's speaking to his wife Jezebel in the palace. Ahab is a picture of leadership that abdicates. Jezebel, well, there's a lot of elements to the Jezebel spirit, but it's a, it's a controlling, authoritarian spirit. And, and he complains to Jezebel, and he, he tells her all that happened, that Elijah confronted him and confronted the prophets of Baal, and and when they prayed, nothing happened. But when Elijah prayed, the fire came down. And, and then Elijah prayed again, and rain came on the land. This is what they were missing for three and a half years. This would have been good news. When finally the drought ends, finally rain comes on the land. But see, here's the, here's the thing you've got you've to come to know by this moment, knowing the personalities of those two. They don't care what's good for the nation. They care what's good for them. They don't care what's good for the people. They don't care what will help the families and, and the flocks and the herds. And, 
in the land of Israel, God's holy people, they, they care about only themselves and the, the idolatry that they've given their lives over to. So Jezebel's not happy to hear that rain has come. She's not happy, certainly, to hear that Elijah killed all her false prophets. She doesn't focus on the fact that when they prayed, nothing happened, that they were false and exposed, they were evil. She doesn't focus on that. She's overly committed to this idolatry, this ideology of idolatry. So she sends this message to Elijah. You, you can hear her screaming through the message. She, she says this, so may the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. She's saying, I'm going to kill you, and if I don't kill you, I'm calling curses down upon me from my own gods. You can hear the screech through the Bible. You can, you can hear the vibe of this lady. She is, she's got like a how dare you vibe going on. She is angry. She's narcissistic. And in fact, you can see a lot of the signs of Jezebel, right? Signs of the Jezebel spirit. Because understand, it's not just a person. This is a spirit. And this spirit, by the way, not only gets on people. The spirit of Jezebel can get on institutions, cultures, and nations. And, and you see even some of the signs of the spirit of Jezebel. And I'm going to tell you what they are so that when it begins to pop its head up, either in your home or around you, you're going to be able to know exactly what you're dealing with. The sign, signs of a Jezebel spirit is manipulation. It's sensuality, lust for power, godlessness, desire for control. You see that in here. You, you see that rage. You see that desire for control. And now she's coming after the man of God. And, and, and the, the, the thing that we see so clear in the Bible right here is that Jezebel and the Jezebel spirit cannot abide a man who takes a stand. She cannot abide with a man that takes a stand. The reality is because she's never probably ever seen it. Ahab has acquiesced to her every request. No one growing up in a, in a, a, a palace home in, in an ancient land. No one's ever said no to her. Elijah's the first guy that won't give her what she wants, won't bow to her God, won't agree with what she has to say, won't be nothing, say nothing, do nothing. Elijah stands up. Elijah's a picture of boldness, unashamed. He steps forward. When the people of Israel are abandoned by their authorities, Elijah stand, stands in the gap. And he says, well, then I'll pray. Then I'll lead. Then I'll represent. Elijah is a picture of boldness. Now we're going to see what happens when it comes up against the Jezebel spirit. But in the moment, it brings this reaction from Jezebel. The empire strikes back. After, after you've seen this incredible move of God, now here comes this spirit that's going to double down on itself. That's going to double down on its evil and, and, and come after Elijah, with all that it's gotten, and she begins to attack him because she cannot, she cannot stand a man that takes a stand. Listen, this is what's happening in our nation. This is what's happening in our culture, is there is this spirit living and active and at work, and it especially attacks biblical manhood. It comes after men of God that are unashamed and unafraid to be who God created them to be, that are bold, that... that know how to say no to the things that want to come against them, their family, and their lineage. The Jezebel spirit 
wants complete and total control. And to do that, it's going to require the subjugation of people. And a biblical man of God has a backbone. A biblical man of God has courage, has character, and has the ability to push back. And that is why the enemy so hates men. And it's so acceptable to make fun of them and, and so acceptable to, to portray them as lazy losers. Don't let that be in your home. Don't let that get around your kids. Because the goal is to get them to acquiesce to the spirit. But you, you're part of the last stand. You're part of the, the pushback from, from the spiritual realms. And, and I, I just want to encourage you to not back down on this thing, but to put your bravery into building up a family that represents God, despite what the opinion of Jezebel is, despite how loud it gets. Oh, I know this is supposed to be controversial, but it's not controversial at all. We need great men to build safe societies, strong families, and holy churches. You know, I'm, I'm going through a Bible that I have. I, I, I bought this kind of journal Bible. On one page is, is, the, uh, is the verses, but on the other page is a, is a blank page, and I've decided to write a commentary of the Bible to my sons. So as I'm going through it, I'm writing to them the lessons that I feel they need to learn from the great men of God that came before them. Speaking of Joseph, speaking of Abraham, speaking of David, just yesterday, I went through the lineage in the book of Matthew from the, the, the men and women that, that Jesus came from. And I was able to describe to them their lineage. I told them about their father, who's a pastor, their grandfather that got radically saved, their great-grandfather that was a, a missionary in Zimbabwe. I was able to impart to my sons a lineage of faith. And I pray that when they read the word of God and read my words attached to it, they're going to get courage and character put in them. So when a Jezebel spirit rises, they know how to not back down. I pray that's in your home. I pray that's on your children. I pray that's on your future. I pray that it's on your marriage, that you are attached to someone that knows how to stand for truth, knows how to stand for justice, knows how to stand for righteousness, fights back against the Jezebel spirit. And the Jezebel spirit, if you notice, is so interesting. She doesn't, she doesn't curse Elijah or curse Elijah's God. She curses herself. She says, if I don't kill you, may the gods kill me. She's calling down curses on herself. It's unbelievable that, that shift. And it's kind of nuanced there. The reality is she couldn't curse Elijah because she knows Baal didn't show up just, just a couple days before. But the greater truth is this. The spirit of Jezebel has no power to curse a man or a woman that is under the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cancels every curse. It cancels every demonic attack, every arrow from heaven. The blood of Jesus comes over your life and over your family, and that is the protective covering. That is the thing that reigns over you. Let me encourage you and implore you, do not remove yourself from the covering of the hand of God, and might I even add to the house of God, because when you are in the house, 
house of God, that's where you get strength in your bones. That's where you get truth for your mind. That's where you get the ability to push back against the lies and the attacks of the enemy. Uh, Elijah had the hand of God over his life, so the best thing she could do was call down curses on herself. And, and, and many times that's what culture even does, is it becomes so anti-Christ that it just chooses the inverted values of Christ. They invert what truth would be. They invert what holy or, or godly relationships would be. They invert the values that come from Christ, and they live then under that hand, which is a cursed hand. And they call down curses on themselves because they hate God that much. Hear me, do not come into agreement with that. I don't care how loud it is. I don't care how popular it is. I don't care the portrayal of it. Do not come into alignment with an antichrist call or an antichrist culture. Stay under the protective hand of the Almighty. Stay under his covering because under the blood is a covering for a multitude of sins. Elijah was under the hand of God. The problem is every time you Stand for truth, you get the attention of hell. And here comes hell in all its glory. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's fighting back against Elijah. And here, Elijah makes a critical error. The Bible says, then Elijah was afraid. This is Elijah's critical error. The Bible doesn't just give us godly examples. It, it shows everybody with all their flaws. So Elijah was an amazing man, but we know from James, he says he was a man just like any of us, with a nature just like ours. And, and so now we see, though he was a man of God, he has this moment where he makes a critical error. He begins to let fear overtake him. He puts his belief in the wrong words. And, and, and the Bible says that he was overcome. With fear, and he began to run for his life. Let me, let me speak to the subject of fear for a moment. When fear leads, you'll always fail. Where fear becomes the motivator of your life, you'll always end up heading in the wrong direction. You'll always end up uh, moving yourself out of a motivation that should never have gotten there in the first place. See, he, he arises and he begins to go to Beersheba, not because he was called there, not because God moved him there, but, but because he became afraid. So he begins now to move to cities and towns. He begins to go to different places out of a motivation that was not from God. Fear has taken over him. And, and I love that the Bible shows us this in all of its clarity so that, it can, it, so that you and I can begin to understand this is how fear works and this is what fear does. He was afraid of Jezebel's curses and, and, and so he, he made some mistakes. Fear is faith misplaced. I'll say it again. Fear is faith misplaced. Elijah put faith in Jezebel's declaration over himself. And because of that, it produced fear within himself and, and that began to be his guide. This is why Paul, who's a father, speaks to young Timothy, who's new in leadership, and he gives him this advice. He says, God, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, sound mind, self-discipline. What is he saying? He's saying if you have a spirit of fear, if you're under the covering of fear, if fear is on your mind, if it's on your heart, know that that is not the spirit of God. A spirit of fear is not ever from God. 
This is not how God operates. This is not how God works or how God bless. It does not come from God. And right now it seems that all of our society is operating under this spirit of fear, but not you. Because you are under a Holy Spirit. You are not under the flesh. You are under the spirit. You are not doing things on your own. You are not buying into the lies of the world. You are under a different realm. The blood of Jesus is your covering. Do not allow fearfulness to produce foolishness in you. I've seen it happen many times. I've seen it happen with many marriages. Where fear of loneliness leads to a foolish marriage. And all of a sudden, there's all these mistakes one year down the line, but you didn't get married because it was right and it was godly. You got married because you just didn't want to be alone. You were afraid, and you let that motivate you into, into a marriage that needs a lot of work now. I'm not talking about anybody that I married. You guys are doing great. But you got to be careful because if you make decisions out of that motivation, you'll always fail. You'll always become foolish. You have to put your faith in Christ Begin to walk in that direction, by that direction, no matter how loud the shout of the world gets. Courage is the foremost quality of leadership. Courage is necessary in these hours. Courage is necessary in your mind and in your home and in the church right now. You know what's interesting about courage is it needs an opportunity to present itself. Courage requires a crisis. You can't be courageous in, in peaceful times. You can't be courageous in the bright of day. You can't be courageous when everything's blessed. It's when difficult things come after you. In times of deep darkness, where things are unsure, maybe even upside down, that is the moment where God would require courage of his children. He'll say, I put it there, find it. Begin to use it. Fan into flame the gift that was in you. Do not go back to a way of fear. I want to challenge you today. Fight fear. Fight those words over your life. Fight that reality that the world wants to cover you in. Fight against demoralization. Fight against hopelessness. Fight against fear of the unknown. Fight against fear of the future. I want to prophesy to you right now. You are not afraid. You are ready for what is to come. You've got the cross of Jesus Christ before you. You are a child of the Most High King. Do not live your life in a series of what ifs. I would even challenge you to begin to shift your what ifs. Move them from what if uh what if God doesn't? To what if God does? You, you, you could live your whole life every night saying, what if I lose my job? Or you could shift it to say, but what if God has a better one for me? I would challenge you, church, to not live under fear. Fight that thing. Target that thing. You might say, well, I've, I've been living under it since I was a teenager. Begin to write down the fears that are afflicting you and begin to pray them out of your life. This is a moment not to run afraid, not to move away from the things of God. This is a moment not to acquiesce by the declarations of a strange spirit. This is a moment to stand up, begin to push back, and fight with your faith. Fight fear. Don't let it control or overtake or overwhelm you. Fight fear. This is what Elijah doesn't do. Instead, he allows this fear to drive him. And then he, he leaves his servant 
in Beersheba and he goes alone into the wilderness. You know, I, I think sometimes you have to be very careful about moving into isolation. And I preach much, much about that. I think it's one of the, the core problems we're facing as a society right now. But I, I do, I do want to highlight the power of solitude. When you begin to make some critical decisions where, where you move away from the things of the world to get alone with God. Because some prayers, you can't pray in public. Some prayers are just tears that you have to cry alone. And I think that's what Elijah is doing here. He leaves his servant behind because he needs to go to talk to God. I mean, really talk to God. He needs to reconnect with God. He, he, he needs to hear what the word would say to him. And so he gets alone. I think for God to speak to you, sometimes you have to remove yourself from everything going on around you. I think this is a discipline. It's a, it's a discipline to dial down distractions. Because here, I mean, he's just going to leave a servant. He's only going to do one thing. Like, hey, you stay back. I'm going to go alone. But in our life, the noise of our surroundings, to dial down the distractions, it's not just going to happen organically. You have to do it intentionally. You have to do it specifically. You almost have to put it on your calendar, 5, 10, 15 minutes, where you are going to choose to discipline your mind and your emotions and your actions to move away from the noise of the world and get close to the silence of God. Move into a place of solitude. This is something that God would draw, draw you to. Come and spend time with me. Sometimes I'll get in my car, and this doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes I'll get in my car and I'll drive home, and you know, my drive is about 20 minutes from the church to my house, and sometimes I'll, I'll feel God say, if you want, you can spend some time with me. And I know what that means. Turn off the radio, not even Christian worship music, just silence. Drive 20 minutes in silence. Now, some of you say, I could never. That would cause an existential crisis. The reality is sometimes we keep busy so that we don't have to deal with the things that are coming against us. Fear. Sometimes we keep the noise up so that we don't have to get alone with ourselves, our issues, and God. I would challenge you. Find 20 minutes. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Get alone with God and see what he will speak to you in the midst of crisis. Elijah did do that one thing right. It's following the example of Jesus. Remember, the Bible says Jesus got up early and he went to pray. He went alone and the disciples knew that all of his miracles flowed out of that. So they came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They understood the connection of that solitude and his power. And I would encourage you right now, if you're in an unsteady or unsure place, if you feel like you are under attack, or you are disconnected from the presence of God, get alone. 10, 15 minutes, bring the word of God. Begin to ask him, pour out your heart to him. This is what Elijah does. He, he really prays an honest prayer. He says, you know, God, I've had enough. He says, it's enough. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. We find, we find him in a hopeless place. He's frustrated, he's, 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 he's angry, 
He's kind of upside down. It's amazing that that one negative declaration from Jezebel could cause so much internal confusion in a man of God like Elijah. But he's just a person. And sometimes we get empty in our tanks. We get exhausted. We're not just spiritual beings. We're physical beings. We have a body, mind, and a soul. And, and this is the culmination of Elijah. He's just exhausted. Doesn't know where to turn. Doesn't know what to pray. Doesn't know, doesn't know what to do. And he says, you know what, God? I give up. Now, some people have described this moment as Elijah being suicidal. But I don't, I don't believe that's actually what's happening here. He was on the run for his life, which means he valued his life. What he's really saying is, God, I'm frustrated with living. I don't like this world. I don't like what I see. I don't like my own reaction. He, he, he feels let down. He feels exhausted. He feels hopeless. This is a place that if you've lived for any time at all, I'm sure that you can relate to Elijah in. This is the moment where he's got to come before God. See, the problem here is Jezebel's words have become Elijah's confession. She says, I will take your life. And now he's repeating her words through him. He's saying, God, take my life. Hold on. Hold on. You're going to agree with Jezebel? You're going to come under her covering? You're going to allow her curses to become your prayer? The problem is he believed the wrong person. He believed the wrong words. And as a pastor, I've seen this happen so many times with people. It's one, when we counsel people, it's, it's one of the, the foremost problems that we have to work through is that people, they will begin to, they, they, they don't just believe the lies spoken over them, they begin to profess them with their own tongues. They begin to internalize them and, and begin to proclaim them as if they're reality. And sometimes you just need another voice to come in and deconstruct the lies of, of your childhood. Deconstruct the pain that maybe came from your parents. Sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, eh, that's wrong. And a little thing like that can help you correct. Many times I hear, especially with the young people in our church, I, I, I hear them repeat the world's ideology over themselves. And it's like, whoa, whoa, don't agree with Jezebel's curse. Don't get under that. She's already cursed. But they'll... they'll They'll proclaim something about themselves that society is saying. Some of the areas they're saying in, in relationships or sexuality and identity. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll proclaim over themselves things that, that society is saying over who they are, what their past is, what their future should be. And they're coming under a lie, professing it as truth, coming under the curse and looking for a blessing. And this is what Elijah's doing, where he's now repeating Jezebel's own words to his God. Now, Baal, Baal's got no answer, but our God does have an answer. And God's saying, I'm not going to give you what you're looking for here. Our God's saying, I'm going to bring truth into the midst of your situation. Let me, let me propose this to you. Do not 
come into agreement with words or with the curses of any spirit that's not the Holy Spirit in your life. Do not profess them. Do not agree with them. Do not internalize them. Do not believe them. Fight those words. Fight those proclamations over your life. The problem is Elijah accepted them. He enabled them. And he let them get into his life. And that's what enabled these words to have power, was his amen, was his agreement. Not just, not just do your words have power, but other people's words have power when you come into agreement with them. James says this. He says, submit yourselves to God. Not to your past, your parents, the world, education system, ideology, social media, media or entertainment. Don't, don't submit yourselves to their words, their proclamations, their prayers or their curses. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Fight back. Move against the proclamations and the plans of the devil. And the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Resist words that do not line up with the word of God. Resist words that do not line up with the word of God. Because see, the goal of a Jezebel spirit is to get you to, to move into a place of compliance, obedience. The goal is to subjugate you, push you down into oppression. But when you fight back, you stand on truth, you move into a place of freedom and liberty. And the spirit of Jezebel is not stronger than the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he sets the captive free. He leads out the oppressed into liberty. I, you, us, we are going to stay under the covering of the Almighty. We are not going to be led by fear. We are not going to come into agreement with words that do not come from the word of God. We are going to stay the course. The Bible says that Elijah fell asleep after praying that prayer. And, and then God sends his own messenger. Jezebel has her messenger. God says, I got my messenger. And he sends an angel. And the angel wakes up Elijah. And, and what does he do? He says, arise and eat. What's God's word to all that? Hey, wake up and eat. You know what I think is so beautiful about, about this is God's answer is rest and reconnection. God's answer to all that chaos is get alone with me, have a good meal. I, I want to look at this in two different ways, but the one, one level I want to look at it is just the surface level. What do you do when you feel like you're hopeless and exhausted and frustrated and you've had these words hanging over you? You get alone, you get with God, and then God comes to Elijah and says, now, I want you to eat a good meal. Can I just propose this? And I, I know this might sound surface, but one of, the, one of the most supernatural things you could do, one of the most spiritual things you could do is get a good night's sleep. Simple as that. Don't make any big decisions without a good night's sleep. You're going to say something, you're going to write something to someone, write it out, but don't send it until you've had a good night's sleep. You're going to sign some papers, don't do it until you've had a good night's sleep. I, I think it's one of the most spiritual things that you could do is be well rested and, uh, and eat well. I mean, we've been fasting for the past 
21 days, 20 days, 21 days. We're almost there. Fasting is for a season. When you're fasting, your, your levels are lowered. You know, your anger is right there. Your, 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 your guard is down a little bit. Fasting is a lot like grieving. But fasting is, is supposed to be for a season where you repent, you come back close to God. But fasting isn't, isn't supposed to be a lifestyle. You move out of it now and make sure you're well fed and you're healthy and you're working out and you're sleeping well. And, and just on the surface level, I think a lot of Elijah's problems could have been solved with a nap. Because don't forget, he had been fasting and he had been praying and he'd been seeing God show up and this was his Monday morning. And as a preacher, I know Saturday is difficult, Sunday's tough, but Monday morning is the most difficult. It's because that's where you're emotionally drained. Even if you saw revival on Sunday, that's when the enemy comes in. When you're lowest, hear me, as you pour out, come to God and say, God, I need you to pour back into me. Pour back into me. Sometimes that has a physical component, but let's go a little bit deeper. It also has a supernatural component to it. What did the angel give him? He gave him bread and water. I mean, it's so clear. This angel's giving him provision. The bread represents the word of God, and water is the presence of God. Look, look at what Jesus says. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is presenting himself as manna. He's presenting himself as the water that refreshes the soul. So what I'm saying to you is the solution to the curses and the rage of Jezebel is to come close to Jesus. You know, I believe we're going to move into a new era uh, as a church, maybe the church, but certainly our church. And I believe the era we are called to move into is an era of discipleship, where what we're going to take in is not the words of the world, but is the word of God. We are going to know the word of God so that we will be able to stand firm on the word of God. That is the bread of life. We're going to know how to pray. We're going to know how to worship. We're going to know how to get away from the things of this world and get close to the spirit of God which refreshes our soul. That is the water of his presence. This is who we're going to be. And we are, as a church, we're not going to argue with everyone else. You know, apologetics is all about defending the faith. And I, I, I think we need apologists. But being a disciple is all about standing firm on who God is, following him despite the cost. We are going to be disciples. We're not going to argue with everyone else. Fight them all. You can believe whatever you're going to believe. But as for me and my house, as for our people, we will not accept the words of Jezebel over ourselves or over our families or over our nation. We will resist the devil. And all of his schemes, his plans, all of his idolatry, we will not agree with it. What will we do? We're going to feed on the word of God. We're going to know it front 
to back. We're going to know the gospels. We're going to know the characters. We're going to know the stories. We're going to get from them the character and the courage that God put in that word to get into our soul. We're going to teach our children in children's children. We're going to have a strong community where we are not going to leave each other on our own, but we're going to be connected together as God brought us together, a family under a house from God. This is who we are going to be. Not led by fear, firm on faith. This is who we are going to be. This is our calling, and this is God's provision to us. So now is the hour, church. Now is the season where we let go of the old and we stretch towards God. What does he have next for us? Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.